0: better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work.
1: Shopify.com slash work.
0: Hello and welcome to the BIP Show. BIP is for business, investing and policy. We're going to cover all of it in our regular look at markets and economics in Australia and around the world. I'm Paul Colgan. Thanks for tuning in. We're recording this episode at 4pm in Sydney on the 11th of June, 2020. I'm joined by Ken Wexler, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer at Acumen Management, joining us on the line from Amsterdam. G'day, Ken.
2: Morning, fellas. How are we?
0: Great to see you. Great to hear you, should I say? And I'm also joined by James Whelan, investment manager and macro strategist at VFS Group. How are you, James?
3: Fantastic. Live from the studios of Darlinghurst, mate. Always going to be good. This is going to be. A, this is going to be a cracker of a show.
0: It is because bonds, James. Yes. <coughs> James, yes, bonds, they're important. Uh, we've got a special focus this week on bonds mm-hmm. and the credit mm-hmm. markets, which have been, like everything else, uh, enormously volatile this year. Uh, to talk at all about it all, I'm delighted to welcome Martin Wetton, one of the well-known figures in the Australian finance community, and now Executive Director and Head of Fixed Income and FX Strategy at the Institutional Division of Commonwealth Bank, the country's largest financial institution. M- welcome, Martin. Great to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here.
0: Okay, look, fixed income. Matters because it's uh, it's not just about investment returns and safe assets and de-risking a portfolio, but about you know borrowing costs across the economy, bank profitability. Uh, inflation and indeed ways uh, in, in which you and I interact with money every single day. I have a particular bee in my bonnet about them because, um, particularly in the Australian market, um, the the market is enormously huge, far bigger than equity markets. Um, but we all, all we ever see uh, uh, in terms of um, uh, coverage on, particularly on the television, um, is uh, is equity markets. Um, something worth noting: uh, Australians. Maybe because we're um, such a young country, Um, who knows, we love comparing ourselves to other places and seeing what's different and what's the same when you look around at other countries. Um, Now, I was looking at a Mercer survey of um, uh, pension funds in Europe uh, and uh, asset allocation uh, for 2019. So it's very new, um, uh, very fresh data. Uh, And bond allocations in pension funds in Europe, on average, um, there's a bit of variation, but on average, uh, it's 53% is allocated to bonds. Um, So, something like about 35% stocks between European and other global stocks. Um, And then... Uh, Bonds being 53%. Now, the reason bonds are such an important part of a retirement portfolio is that they are safe, right? So particularly the government, when it comes to government bonds, they are, you know, the US uh, treasuries are basically the safest assets on the planet. Um, Maybe Japanese and some other European bonds would be regarded in the same uh, basket, but... um, uh, they are a critically important part because you know they are going to be there when you retire. Um, if you own an individual company or something, that company might disappear and you lose your money. Um, now, in Australia, for comparison, uh, this is the thing I get a bee in my bonnet about. Um, I looked at the superannuation uh, statistics for up to the March quarter uh, on asset allocation and the total amount uh, in bonds for... Um, Uh, Australian fixed interest and international fixed interest um, across um, the major super funds uh, was 21%, um, and then with something like um, 44% uh, in in, uh, Australian stocks and international stocks. Now, there's a few things going on there. One is some of our stocks, particularly the banks, are regarded as very safe. They also There is also a very strong uh, tax incentive um, to um, put your money into uh, stocks that pay dividends because of the frank and credit system uh, that we have here. Um, but, uh, I do think bonds uh, are undercovered and underappreciated and probably underbought by people planning for their re- retirement um, and that's only going by international benchmarks. So, uh, the sound you hear is me weeping
1: with agreement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I do think that um, people are curious about these things because they just don't get uh, a lot of exposure.
1: Now, yes, there's
0: the, there is the um, you know safe investment side of it, but there's also a return side. Um, but then there's another side to these markets, which is uh, lending, short-term money... Um, The importance of the yield curve control of of the yield curve, um, uh, and we'll talk about yield curve control in this show. Um, So, um, all of these different moving parts go up to make up what is an absolutely giant multi-trillion-dollar market um, that is, uh, in a lot of ways, um, pretty badass. Um, There is a saying: um, "Buy bonds, wear diamonds." Um, and that comes from the fact that the guys who invest in bonds tend to make, um, preserve um, their wealth uh, and can, if they do it well, um, make a lot of money. Um, and it also feeds into um, the currency side of things. So I'm sure Ken and uh, Marty are going to have uh, a good conversation as we, um, as we go on through this. So um, le- let me just start with this. Maybe a move of a few basis points in a bond yield doesn't make for terribly exciting news, right? Um, but what does make news is companies going bust, all the creditors losing all their money, um, possibly because repayments couldn't be met, right? That is all driven by borrowing costs, well, largely. Um, so we're going to dive into some of that corporate credit um, stuff as we go along. But the big thing that has happened in Australia this year that people might have seen in the news is um, about the yield curve, about yield curve control. So let's take a step back, start at the start. Maybe you can explain what yield curve control is that the RBA announced it was doing at the start of this year and, um, and how it
1: works. Sure. That's a great way to start. Um, so when faced with doing QE this year, uh, the Reserve Bank could, uh, could chose, to, uh, chose a path. They could have chosen two paths, really. One is announcing the amount of bonds they would buy uh, and which parts of the curve they'd buy, and for how long. Or what they're doing now, which is yield curve control, announcing a point on the curve where they're going to buy, uh, take the yield to or around, but making it open-ended. What they chose was buying the three-year Australian government bond. It's liquid. Uh, that There's a three-year futures contract that uh, sits underneath it. It's the point on the curve where if you have a mortgage in Australia, you typically would fix it at three years, maybe two, but you don't fix it at five, seven, ten, or thirty like you can in America or UK uh, or, or, um, or Europe. It's the point on the curve where small businesses tend to get a three-year loan. Uh, so it made sense that they targeted that rate. Buying the Australian government bond pulls the Australian government's cost of funds down, but by doing so, you bring everything along for the ride because by taking supply out of the market, banks, asset managers, traders to some extent who own these bonds give them to the Reserve Bank and they have to replace that with something, some other asset, some other fixed income asset because they can't hold equities as a replacement or real estate as a replacement. So by lowering the cost of those funds injecting funding through the repo market, which is the financing of those bonds, what they've done is they've lowered the cost of money to the consumer. it's really important to understand they probably don't care too much about the financial markets and people within it, and I don't mean that disparagingly, it's that's not their aim. Their aim is to lower the cost and, and lift the accessibility of credit to businesses. And they've done that pretty successfully. They did it through not just lowering... Uh, the three-year rate from around 60 basis points to around 25 now. But They also introduced something called the TFF, or Term Funding Facility, about $115 billion of loans where a bank can go to the RBA at 25 basis points, borrow there, and then on-lend to small businesses and other ADIs. They do that so that there's almost a guarantee for three years that you can uh, have access to markets, Now, if we go back a month and a half, two months, there wasn't that surety of access to capital, and that's why equities really, you know, got hit very hard, bond yields and credit spreads widened quite substantially, Uh, and then, you know, here we are two months later, everything's settled, and it's a sunny day, and things look a lot better. So it has worked. So it has worked. Mm. One thing you could say, though, is what's that drawdown on the term funding facility we're just under $10 billion of 115, so less than 10% has been drawn down. You can't create the demand for money. If you have a business, I don't know, let's call it a small manufacturing operation that's been hurt by COVID, uh, you've had to lay off staff or you've been then been able to keep them through JobKeeper, um, which is obviously for non-Australian residents. It's, a, it's the program that uh, keeps people in a job and pays a fair amount of their salary. Um, you still may not be able to sell the products and distribute them. So you don't really want to say, well, I'll go and borrow money to expand my operation. Cost of money is cheap, but that's not something that's going to work necessarily for you if you can't pay any of that debt back and if you've got no customers. And if we look at Europe and Japan, they've had low rates for a long time. It hasn't created demand and created manufacturing necessarily. But you need to do it as a first step. So it has been successful. Uh, It's lowered the cost of the Australian government's Borrowing, which means that the interest costs on what they issue from oh, here right. on in will be a lot lower, which is less of your taxes being used to pay back debt. But yeah, that's kind of a side issue, really, at these yields because it, it's not even a big amount of money.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're um, it's a marginal. It's difference. so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, Ken, I might just bring you in here. Um, you know, you. Look at this, that the, the trades on this at macro level on um, a daily basis, you know, central bank interventions, et cetera. Yield curve control, how do you see it feeding, feeding into the, into global uh, financial plumbing? Because um, Japan has been doing this for um, uh, quite some time now.
2: I think if we, we take Japan out of the equation just momentarily because they're, they're in many ways unique and, uh, and also a basket case. But in terms of, I suppose... Yield curve control as a concept, and the Australian uh, the Australian experience and what that's meant for markets, and and potentially what the U.S. experience could mean for markets if and when they embark on it. And on that, I think to be honest, on the U.S. side, it's a foregone conclusion. It's just a matter of timing being the only variable when they when they do employ it. Um, from a market standpoint. Uh, I don't know that much has really sort of been taken into account from the Australian perspective in that when it was announced, um, obviously there was a bit of shuffling in the actual fixed income space in that market um, and everyone decided that obviously, well, we know where the RBA is going to be targeting, so ideally we'll attempt to either front run it or be in and around it. So that sort of muted that part of the curve, which frankly, as as Martin pointed out, is in many ways part of the aim ultimately from the RBA as, as well as the transmission to the real economy, um, and and on that I just want to say that we need to separate these two things out: the transmission to the real economy versus what markets interpret and and uh, interpret that action as and behave around it. Two entirely different things. Markets have sort of taken it in their stride, and the Australian experience is very much, at least from the from the currency perspective and to to a lesser degree fixed income, it's very much just a high beta play high beta, rather, play on what risk in general is doing globally and predominantly the uh, the S&P in the US. The other side of it, the the transmission to the real economy, Just I actually made a note which is unheard of while Marty was speaking. Um, He's right, obviously, in the sense that um, all of this acts to lower the cost of borrowing to the general public, to the man in the street, to the broader economy. The only issue is the... What they can do, the RBAs, is, is lower the cost of borrowing. And that's obviously what they've gone out and done. What they can't do is guarantee the take up or, or incentivize borrowing at that lower cost. And I think ultimately, and, that, and that's not just them, that, that's anyone across, across the street, across the, you know, the world, right? Central banks can only lower costs so much, but they won't necessarily incentivize people to borrow purely on the basis of lower funding costs. Um, Markets in general, I think they, they take yield curve control conceptually in one of two ways. Either they, they see it as a means by which to replace yeah, traditional, I mean, it's existed for about seven minutes, but traditional forward guidance in terms of anchoring expectations and allowing a central bank to you know have another weapon in their arsenal, as it were, by which to manage expectations of the broader market, or it's seen as... Another means by which to uh, apply, I suppose, yeah, as Marty said, a a variation on QE or be more accommodative, be more stimulatory in their monetary policy. Uh, You know, it it just goes on. I mean, we're we're in a situation now where central banks globally can't be doing much besides being accommodative. um, And they just have to find new and creative ways to do that. Mule curve control? Yeah, another form, let's say, for now.
0: Uh, Martin, I might ask you what it looks like in practice because the RBA basically announces uh, in advance what it's planning to do. So, um, so first of all, they're buying on the secondary market, right? So, yes. so maybe you can distinguish the, the primary and secondary market, for, particularly for government securities, um,
1: uh, uh, and then talk us through the ABA, uh, the RBA's management of its of its yeah. purchases. So, primary market is when an issuer, let's call it the Australian government, tenders bonds on a weekly basis. To so this week, we're selling two billion of the uh one percent december 2030 bond um it'll take place at uh on friday at 11am as it always does and um you know submit your bids in the 15 minutes beforehand you don't get the rba saying oh we'll buy some as well it's the banks who bid on behalf of themselves their treasury departments and their end clients they could be central banks they could be pension funds they could be hedge funds um the RBA doesn't do that. In the US, they do. It's something technically we'll called a non-competitive add-on, but it's generally they're, they're not the major player in buying them. And the reason they don't want to do that is it's a little bit like getting your hands dirty. You don't want to sort of say, you know, we're, we're in buying and directly funding the, the government. Uh, so what they do is they come to the – they announce uh, on their web page and on Bloomberg and Teler- on Reuters – Telerate makes me sound old um, – what they're going to be buying and uh, in what amounts. And they actually haven't done this now for five weeks, but what they were doing is announce that and you would submit your offer. So you're a seller of the bonds and you would say – you would have a a fund manager ring up and say, listen, I want to sell some bonds. Or you have a trader at a bank saying, I'd like to sell some bonds. They would sell some bonds into the RBA and the RBA would choose – who they buy from and in what amounts. And that way you have, they're doing it at the market. So one thing to make very clear is, if you're a bond dealer at a bank owning the bonds, the RBA is not coming in and buying them at some silly price from you. They're not stupid, they're very smart, they know exactly where the bonds are trading and if they think you're trying to take even the smallest amount of money out of it, they won't deal with you and they don't have to deal with you. So they come in, they buy those bonds, they suck that up. They then give the banks cash because they're government bonds, you get cash back. That cash then sits in something called the ES balances, exchange settlement balances at the RBA. And it grows and grows and grows. It got to about 100 billion. It's about 49 billion at the moment. That means banks can make payments between each other. But that is ostensibly what they're doing with this, uh, how they do yield curve control, what they're actually doing in the market on a daily basis. And as I said, they haven't been in for five weeks. And there's two reasons for it. One, they got their three-year bonds to the target level that they wanted around 25, not exactly, but around, I think, 26, 27 basis points today. The second thing is they got rid of the dysfunction of the market. Two months ago, if you wanted to trade 10-year bonds, there was a 15 basis point bid off a spread. That is substantial when the total yield was around 100 basis points.
0: Yeah. So, um, and, and this is the liquidity issue, right? So... Um, effective functioning of the markets um, for people who kind of don't understand this, and I will be honest—it's um, risk
1: I, transfer. Yeah, if you can't buy the safest bond in your country, the Australian government debt, we know they're going to pay it back because they can just—they can raise taxes to pay it back. If you can't actually transact that at a reasonable amount, at a reasonable price, in a reasonable period of time, then the market's not working. Which means if you're Woolworths or Virgin Airlines or Qantas or you know. BHP trying to issue debt, good luck with that, which is why you saw no corporate debt issued for a while. You need the underlying structure of the market to work, and they got that fixed, and now you've got the fruits of it in that the market functions so well that they were able to get a $19 billion bond deal away uh, three weeks ago in one clip with a $53 billion demand for it.
0: Mm. Uh, So it is working and it's really interesting to see because, you know, um, people talk about it as stimulus. Uh, I think even the the treasurer at one point talked about this, you know, we've, uh, you know, uh, added in the the total number of, of liquidity provision from the RBA into his total stimulus or, you know, his economic response thing, but actually it's very different from actually spending money into the economy. It's about making sure that the different parts of the economy are
1: working properly
0: if you if you can
2: i I thought this was going to be a serious podcast i don't i don't want to talk about clowns like the australian treasurer mate can we move on please
1: if you can ensure that the cost of money is not a problem and that people can raise money and importantly that banks can raise money because they they can they're there if demand is is around uh then you've got the architecture working, and then everything else possibly flows from that, but as both Ken and I have said, uh, you're not getting a lot of demand for the money at the moment.
0: We're going to return to that in just one second. We'll be back after
1: this short break.
3: Wow.
2: Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds.
0: Welcome back to the BIP show, Uh, Paul Colgan here with James Whelan uh, in Sydney, Ken Vexler in Amsterdam and our guest is Martin Wetten, Executive Director and Head of Fixed Income and FX Strategy at the Institutional Division of the Commonwealth Bank. Uh, Okay, so we talked about this transmission of um, a part of uh, central banking activity uh, into into the real economy. Let's talk about one of the things that everybody has been talking a dominant theme in markets um, for the last 10 years, certainly, but probably for a bit, back to the Greenspan days. Um, it's what, could lose, what is, gets termed the Fed put. Um, when financial markets or equity markets in particular get volatile and, and scared, the Fed comes out and, and makes some soothing noises. Uh, and this happened again last night, um, and the Fed has really, um, the Federal Reserve has ramped up um, its uh, different programs, particularly in the bond markets. So maybe you can talk through um, what
1: the developments this year, uh, how they've expanded their purchase programs, et cetera. Yeah. so firstly, don't ask me to repeat them all, because even though uh, I co-wrote a piece on it with a colleague, um, there were so many of them this time around that it's very hard to remember it. They, they really went hard at it. Um, so there's all the expressions like the morphine, the heroin, the, the drug that people are on or the markets are on. I think really, the, the nice way to put it is um, you need to ensure as a central bank that financial conditions remain easy so that you can create the environment so that inflation eventually gets back to your target rate, so that growth and employment get to those target rates as well, and so that if anyone needs money, you, you they have access. Or I shouldn't say... If anyone needs money because there are companies that probably shouldn't get it that have had money thrown at them now eventually they become unstuck in periods like what we've had but then if they can just stick around then suddenly they get swept up in all of this and they can survive and and i don't mean that flippantly that you know they shouldn't survive and therefore people should lose jobs because that's not the intention of it but there are companies through natural selection that probably were not ideally ideal for business and uh and you know they 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 don't get tested as hard as they used to in the past and i think you see that in the equity market less than the credit market but you do see that in the equity market but this idea of a fed put or a central bank put, um what are they trying to do well they're trying to ensure that people have jobs and there's opportunity and growth and you can't fault them for that
3: Mm. was this no, sorry, Paul, uh, was this a chance? Do you think that maybe this was a chance? I, I get that people need jobs, but someone's got to take the other side of uh, of, the, of the view on this one. And with the number of zombie companies, and I've written about this a few times, I think it was BIS, 17% of European companies were zombies. Does that sound about right? I think yeah. it was a couple of years ago. This was a chance, for for, for this was the, the cull. Yeah. But it wasn't allowed to happen. So the hard part of that is
1: if those companies then have debts to banks Uh, so a loan with a bank which becomes a bad loan for a bank and we've all you know talked about italy the last decade with its bad loans the problem is that the banks have to put up more capital to do that they become encumbered with these bad debts that means lower dividends lower returns for shareholders uh lower returns for those pension funds which we mentioned earlier paul Um, but also it means that uh, some bad choices on the lending can also be made in the interest of, and we've had a Royal Commission on it, you just lend so that you can clip that ticket. Now, it might work in the first instance, but after six months, if that wasn't a good company, you should never have lent the money. To, you know, Many people will recall when they got their first loan, they had to literally front up to the bank manager and say to his, him or her, this is how I'll repay it. Uh, you don't see that anymore. And James and and,
0: and Ken, uh, I'll I'll open this to both of you. This this thing, it's got to this point where um, I think there's undoubted political pressure from the White House on the Fed. Um, And um, because of the Fed's uh, innovation, if you want to call it that, um, over the last decade in terms of um, and this is like definitely pre-Trump, um, the Fed easing and expanding its QE program where necessary um, if there is a crisis and making sure that they'll come back to the re- to the rescue, um, that um, you can almost anticipate now, James, um, that central banks are going to respond in some way when there is a pullback.
3: Yeah. I, 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 this is where we're at now with the fact that, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to go to Martin for this one, of, Find a way out because you can't. I can't. And no one, there's no map. There's no, it's, 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 the metaphor is going to be the war in the Middle East. There's no, there's no exit strategy.
1: I think, um, Ken touched on it earlier when he referred to Japan. I have often called Japan the, the petri dish of the future, aging population and declining, uh, low interest rates for a long period of time that has never stimulated demand. Uh, by all means, a you know, generally healthy economy. But um, there is no way out. They're just buying everything but the kitchen sink. Um, I don't think Australia goes down that path. At least I certainly hope they don't. But for the Fed, introducing all these alphabet spaghetti of – alphabet soup of acronyms acronyms this year, you know, you you funded um, dealer balance sheets. So that means if you're a trader at a bank who decided you would go and buy – Let's call it Ford Credit, and Ford didn't do so well because it wasn't selling cars. Don't worry, you can sell that into the Fed, and they'll take it. Now, I get help for the economy, stimulus packages, but I think the point about the politicisation of the Fed, and you don't see it as much in other central banks. You have a little bit in Japan, and obviously the EU versus the ECB. But um, this is a president who's run on an economic record that he's largely inherited, and he's largely got through low rates. And he's a stock market cheerer, and if that's and therefore the stock market is the economy. But he goes very quiet, as they say, in the the uh, the soccer matches. You don't cheer when you're not. You only cheer when you're winning. Um, he's not so much of a tweeter or cheerer when things aren't going so well. He blames other people for it. Now you can do all the personality uh, descriptions you like on that, but it's not healthy that the Fed doesn't have any independence on that. It doesn't have as much as it should. Equally, it's not healthy that they're just coming in and bailing everything at every time, as per James's comment on the um, the zombie companies.
2: Yeah, I, I just just want to jump in there. Last night, I mean, I, I watched the um, the FMC press conference obviously with great enthusiasm and and, and huge attention, as I do every six weeks. Um, but it, what struck me, you know, I'll address what what you guys have been talking about in, in a second. But what really struck me was. Was a, was a, wasn't even a throwaway line. It was a genuine statement made by Powell last night in which he said, We want markets to be working to be pricing in risk. Now, honestly, he is just taking the piss, isn't he? I mean, basically, I understand you want markets to be working, but the way in which you ensure that they are working eliminates the ability to efficiently and effectively price risk um, simply by, uh, allowing the market and, and participants and, and and whoever else to believe, and rightly so, because the proof's in the pudding, that ultimately, in one way, shape or another, there's always some sort of backstop there. Now, if there's a backstop there, we can go into the the realms of moral hazard and and basically, you know, how they've tacitly bailed out various airlines and, and whoever else. Um, I mean, this is just nonsense. Like th- th- this, this cannot. Possibly work, and so the any efficiency in terms of pricing risk or economic rationalization as far as zombie companies that should have been you know blown out of the water years ago and whatever else that 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 concept is is dead and buried, so um, you can argue yeah I suppose that there is there is a, a case to be made for the fact that there is political pressure on them from from the great orange one and and whatever else more than there has been in previous administrations but I think it stems back to the fact that it's not that they've painted themselves in a corner. It's just that their actions as well as the underlying environment has taken them to a point where they are now where, yeah, I mean, the next step is yield curve control, which is just a form of forward guidance, which is just a form of reassuring the market that we're here for this and for that. And somehow we're going to massage the path rather than allow what in Australia has been for decades automatic stabilizers within the economy to sort of buffer the, yeah, slightly erratic and volatile movements, but on the whole, allow markets to sort of price. Now, because the Fed is, you know, the guiding light for the global central banking community, um, we're seeing increasingly central banks across the world adapt and and accommodate and sort of um, become more and more Fed-like because the global environment is forcing them to, to take that uh, take that or follow that lead rather, so I mean that that's I, I don't know i just i I have a really hard time dealing with where we are now and and regarding things at least in market terms as as efficient, you know certainly in terms of what what he said last night, you know we want them to be working to be pricing in risk well yeah that's a piss take anyway
0: you know um people talk about the slippery slope fallacy that you know one uh, example of something happening um, doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to see its way through, the natural conclu- clun- it through to its natural conclusion. But central banks have started to do this around the world. Um, uh, you know, rates everywhere are at or close to zero. Um,
1: Marty? I was just going to say, um, when when Ken was sort of talking about the capital allocation, here's, here's a real beauty for you. It's called the MSNLF. Main Street Lending Program uh, expanded loan facility and the Main Street new loan facility they've got two acronyms for this one in the old days i think they just called that bank lending but this program was brought in on the 23rd of march it aims to provide four year loans to small medium businesses those with a turnover in 2019 of up to 2.5 billion us dollars or less than 10,000 employees so that is a program that the fed drew up in all these emergency programs that's what banks are there for so why have another capital allocation like that? So, so that's, ha- that's why I think it's its not so much moral hazard, it's geez, let the banks do it. Yeah. Yeah, the Fed has no expertise in, in lending money to someone in West Nowhereville, Virginia, yeah. whereas the Assess- local assessing bank a, does. A, ho-
0: a horse trading business yeah. or whatever, yeah. <sighs>
2: And 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 frankly, what what does this mean for for the for the things like Dodd Frank, right? Where basically prop desks were absolutely shuttered across banks. And, well, and, they've already and, changed and the SLR, it. the supplementary
1: exactly. coverage ratio, and Dodd Frank's also sort of trying to be shut down by Trump because he wants the banks to take on the punt. Exactly. They're not so, good things. So, Regulation's there for a purpose. Uh, and it's actually served uh, us very uh, well in this crisis. Banks can still lend.
2: Exactly. And so in, in, in uh, introducing these essentially simil- you know, uh, complementary programs or doubling up on programs on what banks should be doing, it's allowing banks to, to take on more balance sheet risk in another form and punt around, and it's just—it's farcical. You
0: know, very first sort of episode we talked about—you know—the sort of financialization of everything. Um, you know, when you have all of this liquidity running around in the financial system that has been pumped in by central banks, um, that uh, there are corners of the market where people can start to take more, uh, more risk, uh, more diverse risks. Um, you know, uh, in different um, in different asset classes, because the the cone of what appears to be covered uh, in terms of um, uh, credit risk that banks take on um, is expanding
1: um, with every crisis. So with, with that, and, and right to the beginning of this, the program when you talked about the uh, European pensions and what they, what they hold, the difference between us and them, not only the tax stuff, is that there's a liability management issue. So in Australia we have defined contribution you put in, what you get. Uh, over there, they have um, defined benefit. So you have to pay out at the company level. So um, let's say your defined benefit yield return might be 3.5%. Um, you might go and buy some of the crappiest names out there, giving you 8 to 9%, which if one goes bad and you're not too badly allocated, that's okay. But you'll buy them because it solves for your end yield. And uh, you know that the central bank is behind backstopping it, so you mm. sort of well, that that'll mm. solve my issue. Whereas in Australia, we it's it's more about the equity return. Mm. And yeah, I think yeah. while that's good in a sense that it gives the contribute the defined benefit uh, its return, um, it's taking on a lot of risk. That's probably ill judged and um, certainly mispriced.
0: Yeah, and we do get into moral hazard um, yes. very much. So you know, moral hazard typically. Something that people think about with governments, but, um,
3: uh, but Paul, you're yes. forgetting you're forgetting the most important thing: the stonks, the stonks. <laughs> Every single thing that we have said over the last however yeah, long no. we've been talking has been, if I may be the sole voice of the retail stockbroking community, sure, is so bullish for equity markets. Mm-hmm. Every single thing, look and
0: at it, it hurts. This is my favorite. Oh my, my god, my, go, you go. You. My favorite example from the week. So no, no, go ahead.
3: No, no, it, 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 it was. It was they were, they were bidding up. It's it's in chapter eleven, and they were bidding it up, and and it, it's I I'm, I'm just bizarre. I'm puzzled by the whole thing. You wanted to say something about about Hertz and then sitting there. It's like and then it was off twenty six percent overnight or so, as I think maybe potentially people realise that it's a it's a bankrupt company.
1: Would you? And people won't travel. They won't need cars as much. They the cost of labour to clean these, although they. Have a fairly good supply of labour in the US these days. Um, you know, those things maybe mean it's not a viable business anymore. Yeah, but I mean, her, her, well, her, that doesn't I mean, mean her, though that her, you don't buy
2: it. Hertz being Hertz be, being a bankrupt company, being off twenty six percent overnight is, is is no no more significant yeah. than re, the reflection of the fact that the Spurs was off you know what three percent or something or one and a half percent overnight. Honestly, mate, I closed my eyes and listened to Jay Whale last night and didn't look at the ticking of prices and whatever else. And just honestly, and and fair fair play to him, the appraisal and the sober assessment of what the state currently and certainly in the next few quarters is of the US economy is absolutely dire. Like, I mean, so, and honestly, I think that sooner rather than later, US stocks will start to reflect that. I think... The, the, we're not going down to March lows, none of that, forget it. But I honestly think you, people wanted their V, they got their V, and I think now we sort of back off and actually take a look at what the hell's going on and what is going on is less than rosy. So, yeah, you got Robin Hood wankers, Yeah, whatever. I saw 20
1: states in the last 24 hours of um – uh, mentioned they've got significant increases in COVID cases. Now, it's not just the testing, it's absolute amounts because they, op- they opened up on Memorial Day and that's what <laughs> Trump wanted. And If you remember, he wanted it all open by Easter to a very special day. Uh, and that's the problem. You get your V and it's, you know, could hurt you. We're about,
3: we're, we're about to find out if the market cares about this. Yeah, true. We're about to find out if they do because because this is the lag off, off the Memorial Day it's the lag of the protests that we want to be let back out. And then in a couple of days, we're going to get the lag of the... We're out, we're protesting, we're spitting on each other in the, in the streets, protesting um, police brutality and everything. Now, and, and we're going to find out. We don't know if the market cares. We're going to find out if, if it does. I think it won't, but we're, we're, it's, there's only one way to find out. It's going to be a hell of a ride. So talk to me about how,
0: what's your process now with this um, emerging risk to... Uh, Index to indexes and individual companies.
3: Yeah, the, the the fact that the fact that we've already gone pretty well means that we can afford to. We've got a really good buffer to be able to take a bit of risk off the table, um, and and go to those what I call those level two places of going. What's what's value? What's value? What's value? Like I said, the rotation that we had a little bit out of tech into good old fashioned U.S. industrials. Um, you know, the the, the the drop it on your foot things. That, that includes a little bit of Boeing in there. It's it's but it's got you know railway co- companies and things like that. Because we know that the Fed has got your back and that's, that's – unfortunately, that's just the way, that, the way that it is. So that's, that's, that's that rotation that we're going into. It's, it's a value rotation that we're doing. But happy to happy – to, we're lucky that we've got a bit of a buffer so we can take a bit of risk off.
0: Um, I, I want to cover a couple of um, quick things in, uh, in here. But, like, wh- one, of the, one of the really interesting questions – and somebody put that – I did ask um, some of our friends on Twitter, et cetera, if they had questions. And um, – our, our everybody's good friend, um, probably the funniest person uh, on, on FinTwit in, in the Asia Pacific, um, eight 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 eight. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, he's very sad, right. Look, but he, he really did have a good question, right? So so what about buying high yield bonds um, at um, you know that are yielding say uh, five or six perc- percent? You know, in in a in in a blow up cycle. So so there's like there's high yield.
1: The, the, the I'd the, call that uh, low yield. I mean, well, <laughs> high, yeah, it is yeah, high yield these yeah, days, yeah, I suppose, yeah. but yeah, sure. it used to be low.
0: Um, but, um, you know, um, is that is can companies survive? Is it a bankable enough uh, bond um, when we're already at zero rates um, and, like you said, there's this limited appetite for – credit that would stimulate ongoing growth and help the the economic recovery, create all those jobs, all of that kind of stuff. So do we get the recovery that justifies going into high-yield credit at the moment when there's still this
1: enormous risk? Um, okay. So um, for the companies that are yielding five, that cost isn't high. Even at ten, it's not that high – Um, most CFOs or CEOs at companies and boards would be okay with that because they've always been marginal businesses. They always knew it cost them a lot. And the interest cost, while relatively high to a low-yielding zero-rate environment, is not that bad. Um, The funds, the professional funds that manage this stuff, they'll buy a bunch of names. One will go badly and they'll get some recovery on that. They might lose thirty cents in the dollar. They might lose a bit more. They can afford to do that if all the others that they bought at five, six, eight percent are currently at two percent or three percent, and that they can also repo those into a central bank and get cash for them, even with the haircut that's available on those securities. There's enough money, you know, KKR and uh, all the public um, pension funds and and you know, the the other. Um, debt funds that are out there that will buy this stuff and they do good, good credit assessment. They look at all the documents on it and they're pretty comfortable doing it. And very few times do you see people really, you know, do their proverbial on it. Um, so in our market here in Australia, we don't have much. We've only got a handful of names and most of that stuff is actually bank loans. When you're talking about the US-European market, there's more of it, but there's specialist funds that just buy that stuff like there are specialist funds that trade uh, very exotic volatility for tail risk events like what we had in March. And they make it big, they make 300% returns, and then they're done for two years because mm-hmm. you can annualize that really well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a place for them in any portfolio and if you've got superannuation in Australia, you do own them unless you've got a specific fund that might be equities only or emerging markets only, but you generally, you do own them.
0: Mm-hmm. Um I want to talk, uh, there's one thing I do want to uh, give you an opportunity to talk about. It's one of the uh, interesting features of the um, fixed income market, which is um, often hard for people to understand, uh, which is this um, concept of there being um, different types of money. Yeah. Um, so, um, so everybody's familiar with the idea that, that banks um, borrow money at one rate, lend it to you at, a, at another, right? And that is basically how... Banks make money. Um, But um, in order to fund that, uh, when you're talking uh, absolutely giant um, balance sheets um, and uh, all sorts of different types of credit products in the market, um, they have different types of funding. So we get from the overnight rates up to 90 days and then going all the way up to the 10, 20, 30 year. Um, in Switzerland, 50-year bonds. Yeah. Uh, Austria, 100-year bond, I think. Yes, um, Argentina. So um, Argentina, <laughs> what's the yield on an. On <laughs> you an like Argentina? a wild ride. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Does Argentina have a 100-year bond? Yeah. yeah
2: Dollars. Right. Yeah. Wow.
0: Because the the short term, the shorter term, f- f- like a three-year Argentinian bond is like 50% of the money. Yeah. Um. Okay. Um. But yeah, so, let's talk the about term the term curve. Yeah. Term, All right. Yeah.
1: So you have. Um, lots of concepts there. You have the overnight rate. The overnight rate is effectively the, the cost of interbank lending where one bank will lend to another um, overnight, unsecured. And that would be CBA lends to ANZ who has a shortfall of cash, and that's at um, about 15 basis points at the moment. You have uh, what's called AONIA, that's the cash rate. Um, that is also sort of unsecured, that is uh, a 30 day rate. You have overnight repo funding. That is where you are a bond trader and you have to fund the bonds that you own and you do that from the group treasury and they charge you a rate for that where they get their money and that's at, at the moment it's about 18 basis points. Cash rate remembering in Australia is 25 basis points. That's where the RBA has their target. Actual cash is trading lower. That's the weight of money story. Um, you have things like forward money so one day forward, what the cost is for that money one day forward, or two days forward, or one week forward, and that really is how much is the cost of interest over those days. And you, you, you compound that. You have the repo rate, which I mentioned before. That can be uh, overnight, one week, one month, three months, etc. The RBA largely sets that through supply and demand of their cash in the market every day, as you pretty much see in any market around the world. Um then you have the BBSWs, or bank bill swap rates. Now, these are really important for consumers because there's the one month, the three month, and the six month. The one month is what your deposits and your mortgage are charged off. Look at the fine print on your mortgage. You generally get to page three, your eyes glows over, but it re- references the bank bill swap rate. And RMBS, which is Mortgage Backed Securities, all price off that one month rate. At the moment, that's at nine basis points. So nine plus a spread is your mortgage rate. The three month is the same thing, and the six month the same. But then you have things like bond basis. If you buy a bond as a professional investor, that is a floating rate note, so it doesn't have a fixed coupon. It pays you the bank bill swap rate plus a margin, which is a fixed margin. That'll be set off the three month rate, just to be confusing. If you own a fixed rate bond, an Australian government bond, for example, it pays you a coupon, which is a fixed rate every year but it pays it twice semi-annually most bonds are semi-annual bonds so let's say it's three percent you get one and a half percent in april when it, when it uh, and then another one and a half percent in november but it's one and a half percent of the face value oh, of it yeah, yeah that's right yeah. so um that's uh that's sort of your large rates then then you'll have um if you're swapping if you're interest rate hedging you'll have you'll swap a floating rate to a fixed rate so your floating rate is the three-month index, the three-month BBSW, but your fixed rate is the term you want to fix for. So let's say CBA accumulates a bunch of mortgages um, and they need to hedge the interest rate risk, not the not the risk on the mortgages, but the his, risk on the interest rate, $10 billion of mortgages. And if those mortgage rates go up, then we get more interest mm-hmm. income but we're paying more on deposits on the other side of the balance sheet because there's two sides there so we can we can buy them as an investment and if they go up oh damn you know we could have got a higher rate if we would waited so we can hedge that by paying a swap rate against it so it locks in a margin of course then you've got the government bond curve which is your risk-free rate you've got the ois rate overnight index swap rate which is effectively your cash rate expectations over a period of time. And then you've got other curves like the state government curves, uh, corporate banks, uh, and that really rounds out your structure. So that underlying you've got a cash rate expectation and a government bond and a swap curve. Banks will borrow relative to the swap curve. Semi-governments and governments obviously borrow to their own curves. Everything is priced off that. It goes back to your yield curve control question. You bring down the cost of the government curve, everything else sort of concertinas in to some degree, although, as we've already discussed, there's a degree of risk which has maybe made it too much that's come in, um, or uh, and, and that creates, I guess, some opportunities for investors.
0: Is it too complicated, particularly in the banking sector? Um, how, do you think this... You know, I talk about financializ- financialization earlier... Um, has the ability to do these, you know, within regulatory requirements um, made for a, a sort of unnecessarily complex, um, uh, you know, pa- paper environment where, um, where there is all these different types of funding and trading going on where...
1: Um I'll say yes with the qualification. Mm. Yes in that there are some burdens that are probably a bit silly... Um, but I'd say anyone who's ever uh, in Europe, America or Britain suffered as a result of the banking crisis last time round would say, well, mate, they got what was coming to them. Um, the regulations that have been put in place meant that this crisis allowed banks to be, I wouldn't say the star of the show, but ni- a nice lighthouse in darkness. And they've done the right thing morally, they better had, and they have, but they've also been able to fund uh, get themselves funding through deposits, but also be able to fund the community should they need to and buy the government debt as well to support the economy. So uh, it's worked. There are some regulations that, yes, you'd change and tweak, but um, largely the ones that have been put in place have been thought of well and they've worked.
0: Ken, does, it, uh, does all of the, the, the different... Um, we talked about different types of money, um, particularly the, the um, short-term bond pricing, um, you know, overnight um you know marty's talking about um certain deals that'll um you know 3 days ahead um you're looking to does this work into the dynamics of other asset classes uh you know in terms of in terms of currencies and the availability of um to, to for people to get leverage for stocks etc
2: um I think in in a world gone by in, in bygone days in, in and in a world that I used to enjoy living in, it did matter um, and it was of more significance and, and whatnot unfortunately these days by by the virtue of yeah the broader world we live in the the association with risk and and, and whatnot it's it's less important I mean when you have occasional you know uh left field shocks to the system based on you know a, a liquidity event that was entirely unforeseen um yeah that that really puts the cat amongst the pigeons but that usually lasts about 5 minutes and things right themselves and sitting over here in Europe if something like that was to happen in the Asian time zone or in Australia you know, you'd only wake up and see a ripple on a chart and maybe a headline or two. And then by the time you'd finished your coffee, everything was right as rain. Um, so increasingly, it's, it's not important to be, to be perfectly frank. So while there might be a, a myriad of different definitions and, uh, variations of what money is and how you can lend it and how you can borrow it and how you can invest it right now, it, it it's it's not that important I, I don't think at least from from where i'm sitting in terms of it feeding into other asset classes the only thing that i can say is is what it lends itself to do by virtue of the fact that um the markets put us here over the last probably what 10 years or so is that it does lead to far more uh, esoteric uh trade setups or investment Attempts, opportunities. In that, because the, the the bread and butter, the vanilla stuff that you know every macro trader and whoever else would have made their money on over, yeah, you know, decades and whatever else, that's gone. Um, and and it is what it is. So that means that if you want to make outsized returns or you beat whatever benchmark you choose to to apply yourself against, you need to be more creative. You need to work within the rules and bounds of of the regulations that have been put in place since the GFC. You need to be that guy out on the edge that has, you know, that little bit of edge that no one else does, and that means you're 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 getting into some seriously complex, sometimes a little bit shady, uh, esoteric products and structures that when you get into them, and if they pay off, great. But if you need to unwind them, you are not only blowing yourself up, but there's a good chance you're blowing a lot of people up with you as as you try and unwind. And that's probably the key issue here for me.
1: Very true. There's some really interesting trades that have gone on that uh, typically hedge funds or banks would have never have traded previously. They would have made markets in them, which were just really transaction based to grease the wheels of a structure. But now they're actually putting on the trades themselves and they would never have looked at them two or three years ago. But the old you know, buy one bond because it's cheaper than the other one around it, relative value stuff, very much gone in a low yield, uh, liquidity flooded market. Uh, James, I might... But it uh, goes to equities, for, you know, as James was saying, and mm-hmm. that's where also money goes. Um,
0: I, I might just bring you in, James. We're going to wrap up very shortly, um, but um, just bringing you in on the trade. Um, if you like safe money, um, and one of the things about the bond market is, um, <clears throat> they typically, what, what is the entry price, uh, uh, Marty, typically, um, half a million dollars, is it? Um, for bonds? Or, yeah. Look, you
1: can buy stuff off the ASX. Um, I, I think it might be, Thousand dollar increments for bonds, and that's something that I think, from memory, it was Joe Hockey who was interested in opening the, the bond market up for for retail investors. Um, it's one way to do it, um, yeah. But but a lot of other ones will be fifty thousand or a hundred thousand.
3: Mm. Yeah. So X, XTB is what uh, what you're referring to. It's an exchange traded bond. Yes. It's, it, it, uh, yeah. it, it segments it up. I actually I, I mentioned I'm, I'm mates with the guy that spruks them, and uh, and he's me a whole heap of stuff I could just read out text messages and seem very smart but I, I won't do that so that's 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 the way that you can actually buy incremental bonds on the market the other way is through an ETF um, my uh, the one that we prefer that's uh, that's our pick is uh, cred C-R-E-D. it's run by beta shares every time I mention beta shares they send me an umbrella which is great uh, I love their merch um, but uh, it's it effectively it allows you to buy so I'm just looking at some of these things so, so the top 10 exposures Lloyd's now, this is, these are Australian listed. So Lloyds obviously is an Australian company. Um, MetLife, Barclays, Ausnet, that's Aussie. Yeah. But because they've got a QSIP here, yes. it means that they are listed here. So the yield on that and, you know, the education... Side note, any financial advisor in Australia who's listened to this podcast could easily book in one hour of CPD. And I'll make sure that I said because you have been an educational wonder, Martin. Thank you. Anyway, I'll just, just, just say... So, um, but yeah, the yields, what have we got here? 3.59 at the moment, running yields, yield to maturity 3.04. And that, that trades on the ASX, you can buy it here, no currency, no worries about the currency or anything like that, in and out, whatever you want to do. And that's, so, that's just a good safe holding.
0: So, and, and so you can buy it like a stock, but does the price of that stock move up and down? And then does the yield change accordingly?
3: Yes, it does. So if you have a look at what happened in March, obviously it came right off and it's come right back almost right back it's still got a bit of a gap to get back up to where it was before the before the shenanigans so um yeah it 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 came off with the risk that was in that corporate credit mark in the corporate bond market
1: so those spreads widened and therefore the bond price fell so it wasn't worth 100 cents in the dollar like it was it might have been 80 90 cents depending on what the credit was which meant that if you had to sell it in a hurry you weren't getting your full face value back you see that in the stock it goes up it goes down you know what the face value is on any one day the bond you're getting your capital back at the end it's a loan and you get a skinny bit of interest on the top but if you buy a government as you said you're going to get your money back if you buy a state government in australia also the case If you buy banks pretty much going to the same thing some of the corporates will be a little bit more difficult uh, if they're really challenged um but Broadly, you know, I mean, Lehman Brothers—you got your money back there eventually, but you did. Mm. So these XTBs, which did aggregate pay, oh, a bunch 100, 100 of names, cents on the dollar, or did, yeah, did uh, I think it was high nineties. Yeah, right. well, okay, better than fifteen cents that it was
3: trading at. Yeah, someone, <laughs> someone took a cut. It, it was Epstein. Did you see that? It was, it was Epstein it was under investigation by the by the, the Feds for something that he'd done when he was alive, and his withdrawal to be able to, to be able to defend himself may have been what started the GFC. No. Yeah. Scandalous, look look, at it, up. it's, it's <laughs> fantastic. We'll put a link, we'll put a link yeah. onto it. it yeah, is, we will. It, it's, yeah, red yeah, hot, yeah. it's red yeah. hot, it's red hot.
0: Yeah, very good. Um, okay, um, very quickly to wrap up. Um, uh, look, Stephanie Kelton's book, The Deficit Myth uh, came out this week. This is gonna be a big talking point in economics. And I'm hoping to get Stephanie on the show at some point. Um, Stephanie, if you're listening, we're hoping to get, we are, we'd love to have you on, um, it'll be great. But let's just have a very super quick um, I want to put this to you really quickly, this idea of modern monetary theory, which is being able to um, finance government uh, borrowing by getting the central bank to purchase it. So what we talked about earlier with yield curve control, so that the central bank is buying those bonds off banks and um, companies um, to give them their liquidity need to meet their liquidity needs. Uh, and it's holding those bonds on its balance sheet. Um, this is where the government would issue the bonds, and we talked about the primary market, the, the central the bank, bank would come and in them. and hand the government the money, uh, effectively printing it um, and... Ensuring
1: low rates, ensuring that money gets done. Look, uh, I think in Australia you could get the issuance done without any worries. Uh, I probably... Uh, agree with something. I know that Con is one of your other guests, occasionally has um, has talked about. He was a, he's been a recent convert to it. I, I, I wouldn't say I'm a convert to it, but I I guess I agree with it. I would still say, well, how are you going to create the demand at the other end for, for people to borrow that money? Um, but if you are allowing the government to borrow the money and then they spend it to be the public sector uh, supplier of money and builder of assets, and... yeah, perhaps it works. I'm not I'm not averse to it. Um, I think there's all the inflation concerns that people had last time round, well, as in GFC, they never happened. um, So I wouldn't worry that this creates some inflation either. But really, any policy that the central bank adopts where it moves off piste, as it were, they still are trying to get growth and employment and inflation to the levels that satisfy them. Um, They may be tough things to have uh, or to get to, and I'm not sure that MMT necessarily delivers that either.
0: Ken, do you think this is just explaining how the world actually works at the moment, or um, or or something else?
2: Yeah, oh, look, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the world the world's a very strange place, at least to to the one where I started my career out x number of years ago. Um, I don't know. I think I think Marty's bang on. Like as as we spoke about, I think a couple of weeks ago, I'm neither a detractor nor a proponent of MMT, but ultimately. Uh, public debt, who cares, add another zero, job done. But it, it is exactly that. How are you going to stimulate that demand? How are you going to entice people to borrow even when money is the cheapest it's ever been? So, yeah, I mean, it's it It's it's a case of promoting uh, trust or a sense of uh, safety amongst your population to say that, you know, the world's not going to blow up. Now, I don't know, could, did anyone see anyone eating a bat, you know, end of last year and, and this happening? So how's a government meant to do that really?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, look, it's uh, it's been a great conversation. You've been listening to the BIP show um, from myself, Paul Colgan, James Wheeler of VFS Group.
3: The trivia question today. Oh, yes. After, after the, the answer to last week's one was that it was actually Daryl Braithwaite's uh, Horses was uh, was the song that pulled us out of the it's out of our last eight, recession. it got to be. Yep, that's as much as we go. Uh, so this week, uh, well done to Tim from Canberra for picking that up. So he gets the beer and schnitzel for last week. So congratulations to listening to the show all the way through. The, today's trivia question is, is, in the theme of the Bonds, James Bonds, uh, in that, that theme, there has only been one artist to have had two Bond songs. Who's the artist? What were the movies? First answer... Uh, In a reply to this, to the tweet with the Bip Show on it, Uh, gets the beer and schnitzel. Oh, fantastic. It's been a great show. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Ken. Thanks very much.
0: Yeah, Ken, thanks very much. Uh, Great chat.
2: Thanks, guys. Enjoyed it thoroughly. And Marty, thank you. Always a pleasure. Pleasure, Ken.
0: Yeah, Marty, uh, thanks very much um, for joining us on the show, sharing your insights, wisdom. Um, Delighted that you came in so early in the piece. Uh, We're still uh, building this thing up. um, So. Well, if it's too. as good
1: as your last one, I, I hope it has the same success. And Thank you very th- much. These are really enjoyable yeah. and I think they're very important for the market to get a uh, – or financial community and, and even non-financial community to get a bit of understanding of what happens in markets and how they take place. And I think the mystery around central banking is – well, it's not so much a mystery. It's there to work and it's there to help people, but it's, uh, it's important to understand it beyond sort of the legalese or what's on a, on a central bank website.
0: So one of the things we are trying to do with the show is we're trying to create a bit of a community around it. We've got a Facebook group, the Bip Show. You can find it on Facebook. It's really easy to find. Drop us a line on there. Um, maybe if you have follow-up questions for Marty, um, for myself, things you'd like to, uh, things you'd like us to visit in future. Uh, happy to do it ha- um, and happy to say hello as well. Okay, so it's been the Bip Show. You can uh, find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, wherever you get your uh, wherever you get your podcasts Um, thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you online and on the next
3: show